Well, go ahead and find your seats. We're going to dive in uh, to God's Word. We're going to kind of be all over the map, and so hopefully you have your Bibles with you. If not, you can. everything will be on the screen. You can write it down. You can take notes in your phone, as long as you can ignore all the other stuff coming through your phone. Like, you know what I mean? Some people, you can't stand to not answer a text or whatever. I'm, I can totally ignore people. It doesn't bother me at all. Like... It's like, no, you don't get my time, you know. So if that's you, I'm sorry. You've been ignored before. Um, I just know how to do that in the midst of what I'm doing. So uh, we're going to be talking this morning about something that I think is appropriate, looking at 2019. Uh, we're not going to start a new series until next week. Um, but what we're going to look at this morning is consider your life. Consider your life. Glory and enjoyment. So we spent, uh, myself and... And Jay and, and Luke up here, a couple of our students, as well as another student that, that we've known for a long time that, that Jay went to school with, my kids went to school with. We went to a conference uh, over the last several days. We got back yesterday afternoon, didn't get much sleep. It was pretty intense. Uh, it was over 7,000 college students from around the world. There were people from all around the globe that were there in Louisville, Kentucky. I don't know why they chose Kentucky for people to come to, but hey, we'll, we'll do that. And uh, it was a great conference. Um, but the theme of the conference was consider your life. And as I like, was struggling with, okay, what am I going to preach on this week? As I thought through the, you know, just, Lord, I want you to speak to me this week as we go into 2019, as I've been praying through what we need to cover. Um, I thought, man, I, after the conference, I'm like, I would love to share some of the things that, that kind of God brought out of, of what we learned and what we did. Uh, there at the conference, and, and the, the idea of the conference was, were some basic ones, but one was just the idea of the glory of God, um, and, and the fact that God wants us to enjoy Him, and we're going to look at that in a moment, and, and then also the fact that everyone, according to God's Word, is either a goer or a sender, that you're either, you're going, you're, you're specifically being called to go in a special way to the ends of the earth, or God asks you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to be someone who sends people to the ends of the earth. Because the Bible says that God's heart is for all the nations to know him. He even says that he isn't going to come back, Jesus isn't going to come back the second time, until all the ethnos, the ethnicities, the, the people groups of the world have the chance to hear about him. So, so, so there's something attached to that that we have a responsibility that we need to consider what our life is about. And so often, I think for churches, we, we look at enjoyment and we look at glory. And if we're really honest, and I'm really honest, I'm more concerned about my own glory and my own enjoyment than I am God's. I'm more concerned about how I look and how I'm perceived rather than how God looks and how God's perceived. I'm more concerned about how happy and comfortable I am rather than how does God want me to be in the midst of the world that, he, that we live in. And, and so as we, as we look through this, on the way home, we started doing some math uh, as we drove the two-hour drive home. And as we were doing some math in our head, we were like, oh my goodness, we, we think we've heard about 40 Sundays worth of sermons in four days. Like seriously, it was 40, like we did the math, like how many, you know, you take... 40 Sundays worth of sermons and probably about a year's worth of small group time in terms of discussing over dinner, staying up late, getting up. Or like when we figured it all up, we're like, oh, my goodness, we just took in like a fire hydrant. You know what I mean? It's like drinking out of a fire hydrant. You turn it on, put your face down, you get leveled. Like that's how it felt to us as we're driving back and processing this. And I'm even going to take tomorrow and kind of just take the day to look back through notes and pray and say, God, what is it that you're doing? What do you want to do in the lives of me and in and, and the body of Christ? And um, I wanted to take a moment because Luke and Jay went, and I didn't want you just to hear from me. They went as well. And so um, I'm going to have them come up to the mic, and they knew this. I prepared them at like, I don't know, 7, 8 p.m. last night. You guys can go ahead and come up to the mic. So they've had plenty of time to prep for this. So are both of you just, yeah, get, yeah, there you go. Um, they're just going to ignore me. It's fine. Um, and so so I'm going to ask them some questions, and, and I'll probably have to stop Jay because he's way more wordy than Luke is, and so I'll probably have to, like, tap him to be quiet, which is fine. Jay's used to that. We, 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 we had the conference, and, and at the conference, we decided about, what, halfway through day one, the other person that was with us started making a list of Jay doing Jay things, and it was just a list of when Jay would do Jay things, and we'd write it down. Like, that's a Jay thing. No one else does that. Like, 
Oh, Jay, no, no. Jay said it was Jayisms, and we're like, you're not a religion, dude. It's not a Jayism. It's just you doing Jay things, right? And so, so it was a great conference, um, but I wanted you to hear kind of their heart, because it's one thing to hear from me. I'm the professional guy, right? Like, I get paid to supposedly go to these things, which I haven't been to a conference. To be honest with you, I was kind of conferenced out. I'd probably gone to a hundred of them over the course of about 15 years. Like, I was just... So about the last eight years, I haven't really gone to many conferences or anything like that. And this one was probably, I can say, was probably the best one I've ever been to in terms of just focus on the Word of God, focus on God. Like, it was, it was so good in terms of uh, what it needed to be about. So I, I want to ask a couple of questions, and I kind of prepped them a little bit yesterday. But, um, Jay, what was the one takeaway for you? Um, I'm going to let Jay go first so I can stop it. What was the one takeaway for you that... that uh, that is the speakers and everything, the, 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 maybe the, the quote or the thing that grabbed you the most? Yeah, so the quote that grabbed me the most would probably be when uh, John Piper was bringing up God's wrath, it just, that you can't understand God's love without understanding God's wrath. And I don't know if that relates, um, like if that takes deep to anyone here, but that takes me really deep to me. Um, I've always had a really strong conviction of from really young age to like even up to now, like of just understanding that he loves us so much that he he wants us to know him as a holy love that teaches us about him. That's the shortest answer you've ever given. Dude, that, that deserves a clap. That was incredible. Okay. Luke, same same for you. Quote. Uh, now I'm gonna talk really long. No, that's all right. That's fine. Uh, and then another question, you can go, and then and Jay. Um, what do you feel like was the takeaway that God was asking you to do or the commitment that, that, that as you walk away? And, and you, if you don't know that answer yet, that's fine. I think we talked a little bit about that. But what was the takeaway or the thing that you felt like, man, this is something that I want my church family? Because that's one of the things they talked about at the conference was, you know, church is supposed to be family. We're supposed to help one another, pray for one another, hold one another accountable. Like, that's... We don't do that. Church isn't considered that anymore, which is why it's so weird to do that in our culture. Um, so, so what's the answer to that one? Jay, what was yours?
Um, it was quite evident while I was with, um, with the other guy that I was just weird. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that just how everything, like how God made that whole situation, um, not only just being with them, but just like my own heart is examining that and just going through scripture and his heart. And that I just love, like, diving into other cultures, like being into Ecuador or um, up just like northern Europe and visiting there. Um, geez, where was it? But like, I love that. I, I thoroughly enjoy getting to know other cultures, other nations, and just getting to share the Savior I love. Like, that is so real and the conviction I felt for like, there's But there's a lot of people, and even if everyone, like one of the scriptures shared was, even if everyone, like every church who is called in Texas, um, were to share like one other person, that like there would still be hidden people who would not know the name of Christ, and that was Jay's heart, my heart like that. So as the week went on, I felt. talking about um, just the conscience between just affirming that in the Holy Spirit and it was just this conviction I felt that deep down like knowing that he wanted me to just go wasn't just me like wanting to be this superhero that I was going to be like this next big guy because it's not that it's just that I want to share my Savior so yeah I mean and then morning confirmed it to me when I was told that I was just weird and that I was a great good missionary. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I, I, I think that I think it's clear now. So yeah, I think that's yeah. awesome. Cool. Let me pray real quick for Jay and for the other students that were there. Father, we thank you for over 7,000 students, high school seniors, as well as the majority college students who came and gave days of their lives away to sit, literally sit and listen and listen to your word and allow you to penetrate their heart. I thank you for Jay and I thank you for Luke. I thank you for Noah who went with us and how you spoke to him. And Father, I pray that you would uh, help us to see your will, help us to see who you are, that as we dive in this morning to consider our lives, I pray that Maybe just we'd get a glimpse this morning of what we got over the last several days to pause and think about and consider our lives uh, and what you have for us um, and how good um, and how true uh, you are. And we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Thanks, guys. Um, as you guys, like I just said, with considering your life, the, the, the Westminster Catechism, which it's a catechism is a, is a way to think through, a systematic way of thinking through how to um, inform people of who God is, of doctrine, what, how to respond, says this. What is the chief end of man? So if you think of your life, if you think of people, Jay, me, Luke, whoever, if you, what, is, what is our chief end? Like in the end, what was it all about, right? Like if you were to try to teach people that, the Westminster Catechism came up with a phrase so that pastors and people could think through what that looks like. And in that catechism, it says this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But the chief end of you, the chief end of me, the chief end of every human being on the face of the planet, God says throughout Genesis to Revelation, which is what we looked at this past week, that the chief end of man is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Not just for a little while, not, you know, just while we can. No, forever. That that is our chief end. There is no other purpose. First Corinthians says it this way. The 
author Paul, who has planted a bunch of churches. He was a Jew who thought he knew the glory of God. He thought he was enjoying God by killing other people. And he realized, no, that's not what God wants. That's not his glory. And that isn't enjoyable to God. And so Paul surrendered his life to become a Christian, to leave that life of persecuting Christians. And Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth that he planted. He said in 1031, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Everything. Now, me and my honoriness and in my kind of just let you in my world of things I think, like I, I'm kind of just, this is the way I am, is I think and I go, what about the bathroom? Like it's the first thing that pops in my head when I read that. Like I don't know about you, but I'm like, how do you glorify God using a bathroom? Like I don't understand that. Like I, how does that work? But yet you read in the Old Testament, God had all kinds of laws about how to use the bathroom. Like, really, he did. We had a series we did through the book of Leviticus that was called Go Clean, and I preached from a bathroom. I, I sat on a toilet and preached to everyone for like six weeks. That, that's because we were meeting in a theater, and the play they had was a bathroom scene, and the, the seat that was there was a toilet. But anyway, that's what I did. I preached from there because God so cared for his people, he taught them how to use the bathroom properly because he didn't want them to spread disease, he didn't want them to hurt themselves, and he wanted them to understand how they were supposed to live in the world they lived in. Now, we look back at those laws, and we look back at a lot of the Old Testament, and we think, wow, that's just stupid. I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. Stop. you got to look at those laws and say, well, yeah, there are some we don't have to do anymore, but why? Why doesn't God say we don't have to do that to glorify him anymore? What is it that changed? What was completed that made that happen? And see, that's really what it gets down to is, do you believe that whether you eat or drink, you should do it for God's glory. Because I believe that, like in most people, Christians believe, that when you come to church, well, that, that's glorifying God. And when you sing worship songs, that's glorifying God. And, you know, when you do special spiritual stuff, that's glorifying God. And one of the things they talked about at the conference with goers and senders is that if you want to be a goer, first you have to learn how to stay and be someone who lives for Christ where you're at. If you think that getting a plane ticket and flying 1,500 miles is going to make you someone who then all of a sudden believes Jesus, walks with him, knows God, and, and is ready to tell people in a different culture you can't speak their language about God, you're nuts. That's not going to happen. If you're not doing it now, you're not going to do it there. And so it's this idea, and, and he goes on to say this. He says, later in that passage, he goes, and I'm not doing this to seek my own profit. In other words, this just isn't just for, for me and what I want. Man, it's for the profit of many so they can be saved. So what Paul's saying is, is my enjoyment not only comes from knowing God and what he's done for me, but my enjoyment comes in watching other people get it. Can I just tell you, when I was standing there at that conference and I was looking out and we sat kind of in the, the upper seats and, and you're looking out at 7,000 college students. I've given 25 years of my life to ministering to college students. While I was in college and ever since then, only two years of the last 25 years of me being a believer, have I not been trying to reach and invest in the lives of college students? Only two years. And that's when we kind of went off to be trained in church planting to come here. And I still tried. I went on a campus there and tried to share the gospel and actually got, ended up on another campus and did get to disciple a couple of students. But it was really hard because there wasn't like a major campus there. It was like little small campuses. But I still longed for that. And can I just tell you, when I was at that conference and I looked out, and even though our church isn't full of college students, we have some, but, but even though I looked out and I'm like, God, it doesn't have to be through me. I'm just glad that I'm looking and seeing the vision that I've always had for my life, that you're giving me an opportunity to see that on this side of eternity. You're giving me an opportunity to see a row full of Canadians sitting in front of me right? At one point they asked all the internationals to stand up and like the room, like it's like, oh my goodness. And then they, you know, had them sit down and we were like, I wonder where these people are from. So we leaned down, we're like, where are you guys from? And they're like, we're from Canada. And it was that moment where you're like, oh, that's really nothing. You know what I mean? And they, they even recognized that too. They're like, it's not that exciting. We're from Canada. I'm like, no, that's great. Like I, I tried to fake it. Like, oh no, that's wonderful. Like 
I thought they were going to say like New Zealand or some, you know, exotic place. No, we're just Canadians. Like, oh, okay. But still, it was so exciting for me to say, God, this is still worth it. It's still worth me going back to my small church. It's still worth me investing my life at IU to try to get students to see these things because right now I'm watching 7,000 college students who are sitting and they're listening to God's word. They are excited about seeing God known to the nations. Like they're living, they want this. And I'm like, wow. I mean, this was not your like happy-go-lucky conference. I mean, this was not your like, you know, come and it's really rah, rah, rah. That, that was not, this was heavy talking about considering the future of your life and that God may want you to change all the trajectories of your life. And he's going he's gonna to ask for it, and it's worth it. It's worth it. And I looked at that, and I'm like, goodness gracious. So, and really, this verse comes down to something that one of the speakers said. And he said this, Are you willing to resign as the main character of your story? Are you willing to resign as the main character of your story? The life's not going to be about me and my story. The life's going to be about if there is a God and he is who he says he is, then I want it to be about him because I want people to see how great he is in my life, not me. And you know, it shows up who the main character of our story, you know how it shows up mostly? In our reactions to things. Not in our actions. Not in our actions. In our reactions to things. See, our actions we can fake, right? We can fake the actions and come to church and everything else, but it's the reactions. Give you an example. You may have been coming to church this morning, right? You're going to walk in that door smiling and everything else, and on the way here, someone cuts you off in traffic, right? And your heart was fully revealed in your reaction. God, get them. Just run, like, you know, or maybe your reaction this morning that people weren't ready when they were supposed to be, and your reaction was, I'm going to kill all of you, right? Not, hey, it's okay. God's grace is sufficient. You're breaking his law. We need to be there on time, but that's okay, right? And, and this is something that we have to look at. Like, if you really want to see the character of your heart, how do you react when you don't get what you think you should get or the response you think you should have? What's your reaction? Do you think less of yourself than you should? Do you think you're nothing and you're worthless? That's not God. God sent his son to die for us, to take his wrath. God loves, or are you the opposite side? And you just think, it's all about me and how people are getting in my way. I can't get where I want to go. I can't do what I want to do. See, that used to be me. I still struggle with that. Last night, we were seeing a video. Uh, Susan looked online of someone we'd built into at another church in Ohio, and she was posting pictures. She has, nine, I think, nine children, eight or nine children is how many kids they have. I'm like, holy smokes. That's incredible. That's your own tribe, right? So, so they've got all these children, and they said they have actually alarms on the cabinets because when the kids try to get in the cabinets, they need to hear the alarm before, you know, to go down because they've tried other things and it doesn't work. They just figure out how to get in. So they just put alarms on it. Well, somebody forgot to turn the little alarm thing on because you don't want it on the whole time you're cooking. Well, they forgot to flip it on. And so she comes down in the morning and she posts the pictures of this. And her little toddler has gotten into the cabinet and has taken the bag of flour and has decided to cook breakfast everywhere, all over the floor, up the stairs, to her bedroom, in her bedroom, she's cooking breakfast. And I look, and Susan looked at me and she goes, oh my goodness, if that was our house and you. And I went, dang it, she's so right. Like my heart would be like, I'm gonna kill someone. You know what I mean? Like, cause you messed up my morning. Like, no, is it right for the toddler to do that? No, they don't know any better. They're a toddler. That's why you got an alarm on the door, right? And so I'm looking at that and I'm like, but if our reaction is, wow, thank you for trying. This isn't good. You're supposed to stay out of the cabinet. They're probably going to get in trouble for this, but it's not because I don't love you. It's because you got to learn that you can't put flour everywhere. Like this, that's not helpful. That's not how you cook breakfast. Like you got to teach you how, right? There's a way to do it properly, but our reactions show where our heart really is. How do we react 
when God tries to get our attention. And the Bible says that when we don't react to God, he calls that the hardening of our heart. And so many Christians, like I did for so long, you can go to conference after conference after conference, and this is the reason I stopped going. It's like, I haven't done what I'm supposed to do from the last three conferences. Like, I'm still working on the junk in my heart. I don't need to go to another one to get another list. I need to get real with God where I live, in my home, in my heart, in my life, and deal with that. Not keep running to the next book off the shelf and the next thing. Not that you could, not to be a learner, but man, you gotta deal with it. If you don't, God says that's the hardening of your heart. Goes on, John 5 says this, and this was, or Joshua 5, this is Joshua speaking. I love this. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man. Joshua was leading the people of God out of, they were in slavery. They'd wandered around the desert because they didn't live for God's glory. And God said, the entire generation's gonna die off because you all are heart of heart. That's what he said. You're stiff-necked people. You're gonna die off. And then Joshua's gonna lead the next generation into the promised land. Joshua's leading them into the promised land. They've crossed the Jordan River miraculously. It literally split in two. They cross with the Ark of the Covenant. They're going into their first battle as a nation, right? And they don't even really have good, like, they have like plowshares sharpened. Like, they don't even have the right instruments to fight. And then God gives Joshua the battle plan. And the battle plan is you're going to march around the city seven times for seven days. And on the seventh day, you're just going to yell and the walls are going to fall. Like, that's a terrible battle plan. Like, <laughs> that's just what you're going to do. Like, and they're making fun of them and everything else while they do this. You know, and they're singing, they're marching around like, they're idiots. What do they do? And then they just wander off like, they just wandered off. That's, that's your best? Like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. They do that seven times. The walls fall in. By the way, they did find the city of Jericho. And when they uncovered the city of Jericho, the walls that were two chariots wide actually caved in. Or I'm sorry, caved out, not in. The walls caved out, not in. Whenever you siege a city, you push the walls in, not out. Which means something happened that made the walls fall out to go into Historically accurate. And this is Joshua meeting God before this battle. Before, like, this is it. Look at what it says. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked him, look at this, are you for us or for our enemies? Are you for our glory or their glory? I want to know who's going to win this fight. Neither, he replied. Neither. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua bowed his face to the ground and worshiped and asked him, why does my Lord want to say, or what does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua's like, I need to know if we're gonna win. I'm leading these people. Moses is dead. I mean, I got to know we're going to go in there and you're, you're really for us. And God's like, not your call, man. It's not about you. If I want you to get slaughtered, you get slaughtered. If I want you to win, you win. The question is, will you follow me? Will you do what I ask you to do and believe that long term, that's the best option? And Joshua gets it, and we know he gets it because he falls down to worship. He doesn't go, well, forget you and walk away. You won't give me what I want. I'm not trusting you. He falls down, and he goes, oh, my goodness, you're God. And he worships him before him, and he takes off his sandals, which is a sign of, like, holy ground. And he just, I, wow. Let me ask you, have you ever had a moment like that with God? Have you ever had a moment where, where you recognize how powerful God is and it puts you out. That, that if he doesn't be merciful to you, you know that sword's gonna run you through because he's that powerful and you know you've done things that have been offensive to him. It'd be like, for example, if you were to come against the police, you were to come against the police and you know that you've got drugs in your car, an open container in the back, you know what I mean? Like it's a mess and you get pulled over and you're like, Meh. and the police officer pulls up and you're like, uh, do you have anything in your car? No, uh-uh. You know, smoke's pouring out of the, you know, marijuana smoke's pouring out and there's bottles rattling in the back. No, I got nothing, right? 
And the police officer pulls his weapon, and it's like that moment of terror, like, oh, my goodness, what is going to happen in this moment? I deserve all of this. I've broken every law I shouldn't break because I've just been about me. I don't care what the law says. I don't care what anybody else. I'm trying to be happy here and drive down the road and enjoy my stuff. Same thing. Joshua says, I'm done. And he falls on his face. He considered his life and he realized this isn't about us. It's not about me. This is the glory of God and what he wants to do in this moment. Luke 25, 24, 25 said this. He said to them, this is Jesus speaking, he has just come back from life, okay? Jesus has just been resurrected. No person on the face of the planet has ever died, been buried for three days, and come back to life. There are people who like supposedly died and then came back to life like, you know, minutes later or whatever, they coded out. Three days dead, body embalmed, and he comes back to life. That, Jesus, that, that's crazy weird. And the reason we know that he came back to life is because other people wrote about it, not just Christian scholars, but other historians. And number two, why in the world would a bunch of scared guys after Jesus dies and they all run for their life because they're like, our Messiah died, what are we going to do? What turns them into the greatest missionary force ever on the face of the planet? I mean, if you watched your Savior die and you thought, man, what a liar. He said he was going to like deliver us and be a king and then he dies, you wouldn't be like, let's go for it. You'd be like, I gotta find some other guy to follow. He failed miserably. And so Jesus appears to them. He appears alive to them after dead and he starts talking to them and they don't know it's him. He says, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts that all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted from for them, the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. This is what Jesus does. He comes back to life. They don't even know it's Jesus at this point because his resurrected body, they couldn't recognize him for some reason. He's there and he begins to say, let me tell you from Genesis to Revelation, which is what we learned about, about the glory of God and his Messiah, a savior that's going to come to save you. Let me show you all of it. And so they are literally walking and he's just teaching them and teaching them and they're listening and they're listening. And he says, I'm going to teach you, didn't the Messiah have to suffer? And so he shows them suffering and glory. The Messiah is going to have to suffer and glory. And they don't even recognize it's Jesus. And then all of a sudden, it was as he reclined at the table. So he gets to the house with him. He's reclining at the table with him. He took bread. This is communion. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open. They recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. I don't know what kind of body can like, you know, teleport, but that's incredible. Right? Like he's gone. And then it says, so they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Let me ask you something. When the scriptures are being explained to you, do you kind of just gloss over and fall asleep? I'm not talking about a, a self-help message, Right? Like those messages you get from someone and they're like, you know, do these three things and your life will be better and Jesus wants you to do that. Like that is not the way the Bible is supposed to be presented. Let me just tell you, that is false teaching. Because you can do those three things and it may not turn out the way you want it to turn out because God says that in scripture. Doesn't mean you don't do those three things. It's just be very careful about the self-help messages that are out there. I'm talking about that when, when God's glory, when Jesus is being explained, do you do everything you can to stay awake? Luke and I were joking about driving, and we asked the other guys about driving, like in how they stay awake. Have you ever tried to stay awake while you're driving? You know, you smack yourself in the, and Luke is like, and you smack yourself real hard, you know, and you, okay, and you can last a few minutes, you know, while your face is throbbing, you know, because you got to get down the road. And he was talking about one time he couldn't wake himself up, so he had to pull over at a rest stop and like sleep for a few hours to, and that just happened over break. He was traveling from Bloomington back up north, and he was about halfway, and he's like, I just got to pull over and sleep in a parking lot. So that's what he did, Right? And, and one of the things we talked about was one of the most, like Luke and I agreed, one of the best ways to stay awake is pull out leg hair. Like if you pull out leg or arm hair, man, that zaps you awake and you can last at least three, two or three minutes. And if you just keep doing that, like it's amazing how awake you can be. And the other guys looked at us just like you are. 
Like, we thought we were normal, right? Like, we were making Jay sound like he was weird. And he, like, they're like, that's stupid. Like, the, and then Luke and I, I think at that moment, realized, well, we, we have kindred spirits. We're, everyone else is weird. No, I'm just kidding. Like, and it's the same thing. They don't even recognize. Do you want to stay awake? Do you want to hear God's word? Like, if you understand that if you consider your life that we have a Bible that God's given to us as a gift, that's his word, he's translated. The people were martyred to have the Bible translated in English. The guy that made the Bible translated into English so that the commoner could hear it because he knew they were being lied to by the priests who would only let it be read in Latin and they wouldn't preach certain texts because they wanted power. When he translated it into English, they burned him at the stake. And you have that Bible because someone gave his life so that you could consider your life and see the glory of God and enjoy him. That's incredible that God would give that to me, to give that to you, that he would lavish his love on us like that. And he says their hearts became ablaze when they realized it. You see, Jesus is the main character. That's what this teaches. It's what one of the speakers said. Jesus is the main character of everything. Colossians says that he was in the beginning and all things were created through him. He is the main character of the story. Not you, not me. We're just subplots. We're just the side character that doesn't matter. How many of you, this was one of the things the speaker said, how many of you could name the name of the guy in Star Wars, okay, who allowed Luke Skywalker to get to the Death Star in the first, well, the third, fourth movie, well, the first movie, to drop in the bomb to blow up the Death Star. You know the guy flying behind him? Remember him? And he was protecting him, and Vader's right there, and he shoots that guy down, and right as he shoots him down, Luke drops the bomb in and takes off. We're like, woo! Nobody knows that guy. He's dead. You don't know his name, do you? No, everybody knows Luke Skywalker. Oh, yeah. Nobody knows that guy. Why? Because he knew the plot was about Luke Skywalker. He knew if Luke died, then he wouldn't have a job the next movie. Right? Maybe I can be an extra and they won't recognize me. The guy, so he's, that's what we are. We're just extras. And it's okay because we have a part to play for glory. So that, so the world stands and cheers like walking out of Star Wars like, that was awesome. Right? Because it's about God, not us. Goes on, he says this in Romans 1.18. It's like, well, then why don't people do this? Well, Romans 1.18 explains this. For God's wrath, we heard an entire hour and 10 minute message about the wrath of God. It was like 50 points on the wrath of God. Like, like we're sitting there going, oh my goodness. Like walking through scripture about God's wrath. And that's why, and that's why Jay said that earlier. If you don't understand God's wrath, then you don't understand what Christ did for you. When you understand God's wrath and how deserving peons like us are of to be annihilated, the fact that God, even though that's who he is, would send and put his wrath on his son to die in our place oh, should just overwhelm us. Like, wow, that this mighty being who could just smite me in a moment sent the most precious thing for me to glorify his son. To say that's the kind of God I am, full of wrath and absolutely full of compassion because I'm everything. I'm the alpha and the omega, I'm it all. He says, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God's shown it to them. In other words, God's revealed that he's around. He's revealed that there's wrath in the world. He re he's revealed there's love in the world. And if we'll actually try to figure out which God like, actually makes sense, it always leads back to a God with a Savior, Jesus. For his invisible attributes, that is eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen in the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. How many of you... When you do things, when you make mistakes, you come up with excuses. Like, like when you realize you blew it, you, you've chosen badly, it's, 
It's I got to find a way out of this. Police officer pulls you over. That's not my stuff in the back, officer. That's my friend. I just dropped him off and he left it in there. I didn't know it was there. You're the only one in the car. Yeah, I know. It looks strange, doesn't it? See, we, we will do anything to find an excuse. You ready for this? For our own glory and for our own comfort. We, we, you want to know how I know this? Because this morning, this morning, I'm walking to get my coffee, and I'm getting a cup of coffee, and next to the coffee maker is a thing of cookies. Chocolate chip peanut butter cookies. They're so good. And the lid happened to be popped off a little bit. So my first thought was, oh, someone left the lid off. My second thought was not put the lid on. My second thought was finish it for them, right? And in that moment, I thought, I do not need a cookie right now. And I shut the lid, and I walked away. And I went and sat down and started reading my Bible. And all I could hear was, you want a cookie? And I'm sitting there reading my Bible, and it's like, you want a cookie? I'm like, I, I know I want a cookie, but I'm like, no, that, you saw the cookies. Those are good cookies. You know your wife's cookie. I mean, I'm, this is ridiculous. I'm a 40-some-year-old man. I'm fighting over a cookie on the counter. Like, that's us. As a result, I'm without excuse. Thankfully, I didn't get the cookie. That was a win. Normally, I lose. But I won this one, right? And I didn't get the cookie. However, they're still there when I get home. Pray for me, okay? Like, and I couldn't make an excuse. Like, I'm a grown man. I bought that flower. They were, I was gone. They, they made them because they thought I was coming home and they loved me and they wanted to have, like, I could make every, I don't need a cookie. Christmas and the way I ate over Christmas proves I don't need a cookie, okay? I need to do something other than cookies, goes on, he says this, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. That's my thinking. I'm trying to read my Bible and I'm thinking nonsense about a cookie on the counter. I'm trying to spend time with God and all I can think about is a senseless cookie. goes on, he says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortable God for images resembling cookies. That's what I was doing. I'm trying to have a quiet time, and all I can think about is cookie, cookie. I'm like the cookie monster. Cookie, cookie. Like, it's all I can think about. That's ridiculous. And it says, therefore God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity, so their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who's praised forever. In other words, it's a subtle slip that we begin to go down that road that we think, well, God's blessed me with these cookies or he's blessed me with this. But in reality, you're making excuse to be able to have it for your glory and your comfort, not because God wanted you to have it. And you have to ask that question. And that's so strange. Like everybody else just seems like they're enjoying everything. Well, they are because they don't realize who God is. He goes on. First Peter 4 says this, don't be surprised, friends, when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. As if something were unusual were happening. It's not unusual to be tempted by cookies. It's not unusual to be, it, this is a usual thing. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah. Rejoice in suffering? Yeah. Because that's what Jesus did. He rejoiced in his heavenly father through the suffering. So that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. In other words, when you come to the end of his life, and when he's glorified forever. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests on you. None of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but he should glorify God in having that name. See, a lot of times the suffering that we want God to alleviate is the suffering we caused on ourselves. And there are times when God puts us through suffering like he did his son. And typically when you go through suffering for God, you ready for this? It's almost always, always, always for the benefit of others. Because that's exactly why Christ went through suffering. You rarely find a place in scripture where someone went through suffering thinking about their own benefit. Because when you start thinking about I and my own benefit, you cut and run. 
You don't pray. You don't, you don't think. You don't, you, don't, you don't invite other people to, to encourage you. you. You just decide and go. But when you start to have the mind of Christ and why Christ came to earth to die for people, all of a sudden, that changes. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said to his disciple, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself. First step is you have to deny yourself. It's like, but I don't want to deny myself. Well, that's the problem. If all of us are running around and no one's denying themselves, guess what happens? It's called looting. That's what looting is. It's a bunch of people running around saying, I'm not going to deny myself. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal this. I'm going to steal that. That's what it is. And he goes, take up his cross and follow me. The cross was an instrument of execution. Something I say all the time to people, if you were to wear a noose to work this week, tomorrow, you were to go into work with a noose on, what would people think? That's the cross. And people wear them all the time. I was in the hotel. There was a guy sitting across from me. He had a cross on, and he is dropping every F-bomb in the world. And I'm like, I'm not sure he's here with the conference, but he might be. I don't know. Maybe he's just not really grown in his faith yet, so I'm kind of tuning in, listening to what's happening. And there's a mass of people, because it's breakfast, and all the students are down like right at the last minute to like shove their face. And these guys are like, what is going on? Like they can't get food, you know what I mean? Because there's like this mass of people. And I'm watching, and I just thought to myself, I'm like, that guy has no idea. And then he walked out the door. I couldn't get to him. Like he has no idea that cross and what that means that he's wearing. That cross is the symbol when you put that on of I'm dying. It's not my life. I give my life so that others might have life. That's what the cross, that's what the noose, put a noose on. people. What are you doing? I'm dying today, so I got a noose on. Somebody's going to hang me today. Like, that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. That's what the cross means. That's, that's how this would have been interpreted in Jesus' day. Pick up your cross, put on your noose, and then walk around and make me known. Talk about how great I am. He goes on, he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life, especially his eternal life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Look, we're all going to be judged for our works. Everyone. All of us. We are not saved by works. See, when God judges a believer, he's going to look and say, do you have my son? And if, he, and if I have Christ, he takes all the works that I've done, bad, the terrible stuff, and he, and he puts those on Christ, and they're done. They're forgotten. They're separated. It's gone. He still looks at him. He's like, what are we going to do with all these bad works? And Jesus, the lamb in Revelation, says, I got it. Those are mine. I took them. He trusted me. He's good. He's forgiven. Justice has been paid. Nobody gets to slide by. And then the good works, oh man, those get made for eternity. They're treasures in heaven. For those who don't know Christ, they're going to stand before God and try to make an excuse for how their good works outweigh their bad. And God, because he's just, can't say, you know, you can't clean mom's house so you can murder your dad. Doesn't work that way. See, we don't see that our sin is that bad. That our sin constantly, when we choose us, I'm constantly killing God. I'm killing his will every day when I choose my will. That's what I'm doing. I'm saying, I don't want to crucify myself. I'm going to crucify you today. And that is not the heart of God. He goes on, says this, Luke. And this is, so what do we do? What do we do when, what did Jesus do when he considered his life and he lived for his father's glory and enjoyment? Look at this. This is Jesus at age 12. Age 12, Jesus is lost. Jesus' parents lost Jesus. It's one of the funniest stories in the Bible, I think. I think it's hilarious. I've lost my kids before. I've left them places. And I'm just thankful for this passage. It makes me feel a lot better, right? Joseph and Mary lose Jesus. They have to travel three days back to Jerusalem. And they find him in the temple. They didn't look there first. Like, that tells you Joseph and Mary. Like, did you not think to look in the worship place? He's God. Like, did you... Go to the worship place. No, they searched the whole city and then they came to God. Isn't that what we do? We'll search every other option. We'll search every relationship, every financial thing, anything to find enjoyment. And then at the end, we'll be like, we're desperate. Let's go pray at the temple. Oh, look, there's our son. Maybe he should have started there. So they go to the temple and look at what he says. He goes, why were you searching for me? Let me ask you this morning, 
Why are you here? Why are you searching for God? Why do you go to God? Why? That's a big question. Because I think most people, for me, I walked the aisle three times growing up. And the three times I walked the aisle in churches, I was walking the aisle for me, not for God. And I never came to know him. I went up front and I was like, I'm here because I want God to fix this or to do this or to do that. And, and the second God didn't do that, you know what I did? I went right back on my own life. Well, that didn't work. And then I did it again. And then I'd feel conviction. And, and I'd come again to God and say, oh, oh and God say, okay. And again, no one led me to Christ. They all just led me. We're so glad that you're here and that you feel better. They didn't look at me and say, wrath is on you. You need God's forgiveness. Cry out to him. Ask for his forgiveness. Do you know what Jesus, no one did that. They all just, we're so happy you're doing this. I'm like, what am I doing? I don't even, why am I, I just know I feel bad and I want to be better. But my heart was never to worship him until I came to be a freshman. And like Joshua in my dorm room, when I came to the end of myself, when I considered my life and I wanted to take my own life, but I didn't because my best friend took his life in high school and I saw what it did to his loved ones and I said, I can't do that to the people I love. I fell on my face like Joshua and I said, God, you're in charge, help. 30 minutes later, the phone rings, a guy meets with me, walks me through a little track explaining the gospel to me and I surrender my life to Jesus and the rest is history. That's crazy. That's not normal. Actually, it is normal. It's normal for us to be at that place of desperation. So why are you searching for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Where were you guys? <laughs> like, I love, he's looking at his parents like, where were you guys for the last three days? I've been here three days. What were you guys doing? Didn't you know this is where to go to find the answers to like, See, God, like you come to the temple first. But they did not understand what he said to them. I love that. So often we read our Bible, God speaks to us, and we're like, I have no idea what our 12-year-old son just said to us. Whew. Like, it's, I think it was important, but I'm not getting it, right? <laughs> Goes on, he says, look at this. Jesus knows he's God. He was just invited to the Harvard Temple School right? The, the, the Pharisees invited him. He's got all the world in front of him. He's the son of God with the most important mission on the face of the planet to accomplish. He's at the temple. This is amazing. This is the moment. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and he was obedient to them. <laughs> Wait, you're obedient to the people that you just told? Like, why are you searching for me? And why didn't you find me in my dad's house? You went to obey those people. Yep. Jesus, the Son of God, obeyed parents that he was more perfect than. Because he loved his parents and wanted to give his life to them. And he spent the next 18 years doing that. His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and people for 18 years. One of the things they said at this conference is we have a bunch of people who want to be goers. They want to go make a difference in the world, but no one wants to buckle down and really let God deal with them and change them to get them ready to go. We all want to do big things and have it now, but no one wants to be urgently patient. Urgently patient. That was Jesus for 18 years. You think your life doesn't count? Why don't you spend the next 18 years doing what Jesus did? Learning how to be an obedient person, learning how to Give your life to others and serve and work a job. He's probably working construction in, in a Herodias, the city nearby. Why don't you try that for 18 years? Give it, go into synagogue every week. See, when Jesus called the disciples, which happens in the next couple of passages here in Luke, when Jesus calls the disciples, we think he just like walked out into the middle and like there was a boat and he's like, you come follow me. And like he started glowing and Peter was like, oh, you have the glow. I'm following you. Uh, no, that's... He had grown up with these guys. He had gone to synagogue with them. They were in church together. He was calling guys that knew him and knew his family. They they'd watched his life. And so when he said, hey, I think I'm going to go now, they were like, if you are the Messiah, we've been watching. You're an amazing dude. I think, I think we could follow you. See, we think it was this random. It wasn't. Jesus for 18 years was preparing. Listen to this. Tune in. If, you, if you're out, he was preparing 
those guys to take the future of the kingdom and the world in those 18 years? What are we doing to make disciples in our homes, in our own hearts, in the lives of people around us so that they might fulfill the Great Commission? That was the thing about this conference. I'm looking out and I'm like, my life for the last 25 years has been worth it. There's like 3,000 students standing saying, we're going to go. And at the same time, I'm sitting and I'm saying, God, I want to go, but I know you've made me someone who's supposed to stay. And I'm like, what more do I need to do for you? What more does our church need to do to send people? How much more do I need to sacrifice and give? How much more do I need to lay down? And man, that internal conflict, we do enough. We're a church that gives 15% of every dollar. There's not another church that I know of in this town that does that. Well, maybe God wants you to give 16. No, we give 15. They need to do it. No, maybe God wants you to do more. Because you get it. That's Jesus, man. He goes on, he says this. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods the Father set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, like Luke said a minute ago when he shared, that when you understand that it's better to have the Spirit than Jesus actually in the flesh with you. Jesus said that. Jesus said, I'm going to send a comforter, and if I don't go, he can't come, and he's better for you right now. And if you get that God's sending the Spirit, and the purpose of you having the Holy Spirit is to be his witness. It's just to tell about it. It's to show him off. It's to say, look at that. Not look at me. The witness on the witness stand didn't say, look at me, look at me. He says, this is what happened. Look at that. See, that's a witness. And when you have the Spirit, you can't help but do that. You can't help but glorify God and enjoy Him. Ephesians 5 says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, here are some of the reactions you'll have if you're filled with the Spirit. You'll speak to one another in Psalms. How many of you have ever just broken out in a Psalm to somebody? You know? Just broken out. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Have a nice day. I mean, that's like, what just happened, right? He says, you're just going to want to make music in your heart. You're going to do hymns and spiritual stuff. There's just going to be this, I so enjoy God, I can't help but let him out. Most of us don't enjoy God, which is why he doesn't get out. Because you don't enjoy him. It's a burden to follow him. No. Man, enjoy that you get to know this God. And then he says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Let me tell you, if you're not in relationships where they can hold you accountable and ask you to submit and ask you hard questions and like help you walk with God, you are not a biblical Christian. You are not doing biblical Christian stuff. If, if you're not about the church, that's a problem too. Noah, who came with us, one of the things he said that he took away from the conference is when the speaker said, he was preaching and he was talking about, you want to go reach people for Jesus. You want to tell people about Jesus. Noah is a youth uh, worker at Butler University. He works with high school students. He leaves the campus and goes and works with high school students at Brownsburg High School. And as, as he's hearing this, here's what the speaker said. You want to tell people about Jesus, but what are you going to build? Well, glad you know Jesus. See ya. What are you going to build when they come to know the Lord? What do you want to build in their life? And he said, wow, you've got to get them plugged into a church, to a body, to, to build something. Listen, no church is perfect. No family's perfect. Your family's not perfect, right? But that doesn't mean you don't submit. It means we look for those opportunities to give our lives. As we wrap up, I'm going to... Do a psalm, because that's what we just read, to consider your life. This was the psalm, this was the theme of the entire weekend. Here it is. May God be gracious to us and bless us and look on us with favor, Selah. So that. You see, everybody wants God to be gracious and to look on them with favor. And God says, hold on, why do you want my glory why do you want to experience my enjoyment? Because your reaction tells something. Here's the reaction. So that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let all peoples praise you 
God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. It's like, wow. That's what I want. That's what I would love to see the world be like. You see, God looks and he says, he wants to be gracious. He wants to be gracious to you so you can know him, so you can experience that, but he also wants to be gracious so other people can experience his glory and enjoy him forever and have eternal life. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let me ask you, is that your chief end? Is your desire that I just, I don't, I, I don't want to be the main character. I just want God to get the glory. I want him to be in charge. And, and I just want to enjoy watching him do his thing. I just want to enjoy serving him and letting him work. And whatever he asks me to do, whatever suffering I have to take, if I'm shot down by Darth Vader, it's okay. Because I know what's happening to the Death Star. See, that's the God we worship. That's the God that says, I love you. I have a plan and I want you to glorify me and enjoy me. And if you do that, it will show up in your, in your reactions and in your actions as you go out to the ends of the earth. And that starts here. So let me ask you, will you be a sender? Because that's what we are asked to do at this conference. You may be called to be a goer, but will you be a sender if you're not going? Will you look to leverage your finances, your relationships, your life to be able to send people out? You looked at how do we get people out because there are people who've never heard. God, Jesus can't come back. He says, I'm not going to do it until people know. And if that's what we're about, which our church has tried to be about, then man, how cool would that be to be a part of that?